Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. I am your guest, Phil Bresnahan. And we are your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 164. A quick announcement before we jump into the podcast. KeyCon 2019 is a user conference for a popular open source CAD program, KeyCAD, happening April 26th and 27th. 2019 in Chicago, Illinois. This is the first and largest gathering of hardware developers using KeyCAD. Talks at the conference will span hardware design, revision control, scripting, manufacturing considerations, proper library management, and getting started developing the underlying tools for KeyCAD. All announced talks have been listed on the conference site, which is in the show notes. Phil Bresnahan has made the water his playground and office for most of his life. Phil is a senior development engineer at Scripps Institution of Oceanography, a department of UC San Diego, and the lead engineer of the SmartFin project. So, Phil, who are you? <laughs> You're kind of starting with the hardest question first there. I'm trying to figure that out <laughs> we always myself. Do. Yeah, um, so I, I, I split my time among a, a couple different things here at Scripps and SmartFin, and I'll talk about what, uh, what all of those are. But I'm trained as both a chemical engineer and an oceanographer. And in my day-to-day life, I combine those and focus on developing chemical sensors for marine pollution studies, essentially. And through my work at Scripps Institution of Oceanography at UC San Diego, I got introduced to the SmartFin project, which is a nonprofit initiative of the Lost Bird Project, a nonprofit arts-focused organization. And I've been leading the research and development efforts there for SmartFin for a bit. So what is the uh, SmartFin project? SmartFin is sort of two things. On the one hand, it's a surfboard fin with sensors in it. And uh, so most surfboards have interchangeable surfboard fins. They can come out with just a couple seconds of uh, Allen key turning and take out your plastic or fiberglass or carbon fiber fin. You can put in the SmartFin and instantly be collecting oceanographic data just by going in the water. So SmartFin, it's an internet of things and uh, connected smart surfboard fin. Right now we're measuring temperature, motion, and position, GPS position. And then we have wireless data transmission to get data back to the cloud and where we make it freely available to anyone. So that's the one side. On the other side, it's uh, an outreach initiative geared at communicating what we know is already happening in the coastal ocean uh, with different groups. And we think that the surf community is a really great group to work with because they have this deeply vested interest in coastal health themselves as, as people who like to spend a lot of time there. And so we think that working with them is a really great opportunity to communicate some of the science uh, of what we already know is happening out there. Awesome. So you, uh, you said that right now this smart fin, um, you, you purchase it and install it in your board and then you just begin collecting data? Pretty much, yeah. So, so we're um, we're a little bit beyond what I'd consider the prototyping phase at this point. We've distributed three hundred of them around the world. Uh, we have fairly global distribution at this point. A uh, bunch in Australia, a bunch in Europe. Um, I haven't actually seen any pop up in in Africa yet, uh, but we we do have some in in Asia, and um, yeah. So you can. Sign up at smartfin.org slash contact and get on our mailing list for when we do our, our next distribution of fins, which we're hoping will be later in uh, maybe the summer or, or fall of 19. And uh, yeah, so uh, it has a wet dry sensor. It turns on automatically when it goes in the water. It knows to begin collecting data. It turns off when it comes out of the water and immediately begins looking for a cellular connection 
so that it can send data to the cloud. So all a surfer has to do is keep the fin charged and surf, and they're able to contribute to coastal oceanography. So Phil, how did you get started with the SmartFin project or get introduced to it? Well, when I was in grad school, I was spending a lot of time in the lab building these chemical sensors for pollution studies. And uh, my my biggest uh, focus was ocean acidification, which is the process of carbon dioxide dissolving in seawater and making it more acidic. There's extra carbon dioxide in the atmosphere right now because of what's coming out of our tailpipes, our factories and so on. And so uh, a lot of my work has uh, been geared toward making carbon dioxide sensors and pH sensors. And I was also really interested in trying to communicate some of this work with local groups and giving a bunch of peer tours. Uh, We have an oceanographic research peer here at Scripps, giving a bunch of peer tours, lab tours and aquarium tours. And I found over a couple of years of doing this that it was a really cool way to introduce people to the lab side of things, but it wasn't really a great way to connect them with the reasons that I got passionate about oceanography. The reasons that I, I got engaged originally were just my love of the ocean and love of spending time outside. And so I thought if there was a way I could connect these two things, my actual work and my love for nature, that would be an even more powerful way to communicate this. And so I I asked my PhD advisor if there was any way that I could take what I was doing in the lab out and do it in a coastal kind of more almost citizen science friendly way. And uh, he was kind enough and or crazy enough to agree and uh, let me take one of these $25,000 pH sensors uh, and ratchet strap it to the bottom of a stand up paddle board and and watch me fail miserably. It, It didn't work. Um, I fell flat on my face because the board didn't move. There was so much drag and so much weight on the board that it, it just, it was a mess. Um, but uh, he st- still supported me, said, you know, keep going for it. We hired a mechanical engineer who redesigned the sensor housing so that it was more hydrodynamically friendly. Um, we essentially then just were able to Velcro it to the bottom of the stand-up paddle board and get what we needed out of it that way. And so that was that was sort of phase one in graduate school. And then totally in parallel and, and separate from my work on, th- on that project, there was this other group starting to work on the smartphone project uh, about five years ago. And they got introduced to one of my colleagues and friends here at Scripps, Dr. Tyler Cernak, who's a postdoctoral researcher in coral reef chemistry. And he started evaluating the SmartFin data and said, you know, this is a really cool project, but if if you guys, if the SmartFin project started working with the ocean sensor developers here at Scripps and combined forces, then this could be a really powerful project and we could put the state-of-the-art oceanographic sensors on this really neat communication and data collection platform. And so that's, that's when I got engaged about two years ago, a little over two years ago now. So, so what kind of sensors does this fin have? Right now, we have relatively simple sensors for temperature, motion, um, just an IMU, 9-axis IMU, um, from which we're trying to extract the surfer motion, but also the wave motion. When a surfer is just sitting out there bobbing, we want to be able to use this to reconstruct what the wave patterns looked like, which is really helpful information both for the surfers, but also for coastal oceanographers and, and communities trying to plan for coastal changes. Um, and then it's all geolocated, so GPS. And uh, as I mentioned, my background's in chemical sensors. So I'm, I'm working on the next batch of sensors, um, P2 
pH is one of the, the next in the pipeline. Uh, dissolved oxygen is a really big one and really important for measuring how fish are, are literally breathing in and out and how phytoplankton are creating oxygen um, and how bacteria are, are chewing up that oxygen. Um, that gives us a, a really good understanding of ocean health. And then chlorophyll fluorescence for algae blooms, turbidity for water clarity. Um, and then people always ask me about water, um, like bacteria concentrations. Can you tell me if, the, if I'm going to get sick if I go in the water today? And we're not quite there yet. Those types of sensors are definitely coming online, um, but they're nowhere near small enough to fit in a surfboard fin yet. Yeah, I imagine you would, for that you would have to have like a, like a, like a light and see the bacteria, I guess. Yeah, yeah. A lot of you're exactly right. A lot of these these sensor types are based off of uh, fluorescence or fluorometry measurements. So, yeah, you're shining an LED, measuring off a photodiode. Exactly. Cool. So, so the 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 surfer that has one of these on their board, do they have access to the data that they're collecting? Yeah, absolutely. All of the data are freely open, available, accessible to anyone. We're uh, revamping our data-driven website right now, working with this company up in Alaska called Axiom Data Science. And they're doing an amazing job, uh, totally redoing everything. So for the past couple of years, everything has been freely available, but it's been a little bit hard to access. And uh, we have a couple custom Python scripts that allow us to, to basically drill in and, and get aggregated data, but um, fairly painful. So we have this really nice new portal where everything's available. And then our vision is that after a surfer gets in from a session, they will uh, get some sort of uh, mobile notification that says, thank you for your contribution of, let's say, you know, 120 minutes to science. Um, here's a link to, to view your session data. And they can look at um, just that individual session data and then also look at it in the context of all of the data being collected worldwide. A little bit of a gamification of science, at least in science, uh, data gathering, at least. Absolutely, yeah, and 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 we're working on other features to to add to that. I guess um, we really want to be able to provide some metrics to the surfer as well, so that they can get a sense for maybe how many waves they caught, uh, how fast they went during the session, so things like that. We're not trying to be a, a Fitbit for the surfer. We're trying to be a Fitbit for the ocean, essentially. So I always, especially as an academic researcher, I have to prioritize the, um, the sensor accuracy, precision, things like that over some of these gamification type things. But we realize that they go hand in hand because the surfer is only going to use it as much as they feel rewarded by their participation in the project. For sure. That was actually a question that uh, I had. I mean, there, there, of course, there's the uh, there's the feel good aspect of, of contributing to to what the end result is. But at this but at, you know, uh, at some point, like the surfer themselves has to adopt this and put it in there. So it ha so I was just curious what, what I don't want to make it sound like there's like a um, transaction going on, but what do they get out of it is what I'm, I'm getting at. No, no, you're absolutely right. I, th I think you're, you're asking the right question there. And, and this is something we ask ourselves all the time. How, how do we inspire people to become more engaged? And right now we have a longer wait list than we can possibly make sensors and uh, smart fins to keep up with, which is an, a really exciting problem to have, of course. Um, and we're, we're going through this design for manufacturing process right now so that we can figure out how to alleviate some of those, those bottlenecks uh, or open up the bottlenecks, I guess. Um, but yeah, the, the reasons that we think people would get engaged are 
as I said, just love of the ocean because they they're invested in ocean health themselves. And um, and we believe a lot of people uh, for a lot of people that will be enough. But then I, I do believe we'll have to reward people in in certain ways and and. Um, help create some competitions and help create some metrics that allow people to compare their data to their their buddies' data. Or, uh, you know, I can imagine high school surf teams where where people are actually maybe even using some of the scientific data in science classes. If we can manage to pair up with high school surf team coaches as well as the environmental science teachers there or chemistry teachers, you know, some really neat things could could start to happen out of that. Yeah, I could see that being a really great uh, introduction to data gathering and then having to write a lab report for something like learning in high school, like, go gather data. How do you do it? Well, go have some fun, you know? That That's the dream. Seriously, I, I would be so excited if I, I saw that happen. Uh, I think the, the idea of I, I give a lot of talks at high schools now about SmartFin and, and some of my other research and um I didn't grow up with smart fins in the classroom myself as a student. And it's just amazing to see how many people are just staring at their phones as engaging as I think I am. They're, they're still just looking at other things. <laughs> and my, my dream for this project is where they're actually looking at their surf data on their phone, uh, even if they're not listening to me, <laughs> uh, you know, ramble about some oceanographic phenomenon. I, I, you could do like the next Angry Birds, but on a surfboard. That's the dream. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, is that, is that still a popular thing with the kids nowadays, Stephen? <laughs> You're getting old, Parker, if you have to ask that question. <laughs> so um, so let's, uh, let's get into the manufacturing of this or, uh, you know, I, I guess you could say uh, the, the construction of it. So what I'm most curious about right now is, is what's the thickness of one of these fins and what kind of uh, constraints do you have to or, or are you given in order to shove all of this stuff into one of these things? Yeah, you're, you're sort of uh, leading with the, the answer in your question there. Um, it's yeah, thickness is the number one constraint. You're absolutely dead on. Um, the maximum thickness for uh, a center fin. So um, for anyone who isn't a, a big surfer who's listening now, there are side fins and shortboard fins, which tend to be a lot smaller. Uh, and then longboards and stand-up paddle boards and uh, some other other types of watercraft that might have a, a center or single fin. Um, those tend to be a little bit bigger. And so at the moment, we're, uh, we have shortboard fin designs uh, with the smart fin. Um, of the 300 that we've already distributed, probably 200 of them are shortboard fins. But um, moving forward, we're actually thinking about focusing a little bit more on the longboard or center fin design because of this exact concern and uh, thinking we can fit bigger batteries in there, more sensors. Um, and then there's this other really interesting thing that I keep running into as a scientist trying to use the data, which is that the, the data, the environmental data are only as good as the geolocation that we have for the data. Meaning if we're collecting a whole bunch of temperature data as a time series, but we don't have GPS points for each of those, then it's really hard to know how to interpret it. Uh, other than with some, you know, means, median type statistics. Um, and so the reason that's important in selecting a fin design is that uh, longboards and stand-up paddleboards are bigger and therefore more buoyant and get the fin closer to the sky, closer to the satellites, and get up to 25 times better 
um, GPS signal reception. And uh, so that's 25 times more data that scientists can use. So um, this was one of the stranger data analyses I've done in my academic career, uh, you know, board volume versus GPS fix rate. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it, it's been pretty fruitful as well. It's, it's really helped us figure out what direction to go. And so um, maximum thickness of a longboard fins only about eight millimeters. And, and that's really not a whole lot of space. Um, and that, again, that's maximum thickness. These are foils. So it pretty quickly tapers off from from the eight millimeters and, and fitting a battery in there is probably the hardest part, um, especially lithium batteries that tend to swell a little bit over time. Um, that, that can be a major concern. And then um, getting some of the other, like the, the pH sensors, there are a lot of pH sensors out there. Um, there aren't a lot of small ones that perform well or well enough for oceanographers to care at least. Um, so basically chopping away all of the extra material that you don't need and trying to cram it in there. Um, that's, that's one of my biggest challenges. And then I guess to, um, to kind of keep rambling about the, uh, the engineering concerns, the, the other big one is that we're, we're trying to build something that doesn't just meet oceanographic standards, but also meet surfing standards. And that includes weight and flex and, um, other, other things, obviously the shape itself um, has to be dead on for a surfer to want to surf it. And, uh, and we've had the fins tested up at Futures Fins. Futures is one of the two biggest uh, fin manufacturers in the world. And, and they've tested the, the fins for us. And they say that we're in their, their ballpark of flex characteristics, weight characteristics. And um, we're actually using some of their foil designs and templates. So, um, so we know we're, we're dead on there. And um, the world number one surfer for the, the for I think two of the past three years surfs futures fins of a uh, similar design to what we're producing. So, um, if anyone's complaining about performance, it's it's not our fault. <laughs> it's not their fault they missed that wave. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So on on the battery is uh, what kind of is, is it a lithium cell battery? It is like a flat pack. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, so how do how do you keep that? thing charged up because i assume it's not just a dc barrel jack that because it has to be waterproof right right yeah so um in the i'd hope it's waterproof <laughs> so so do i um yeah and uh and it hasn't always been but but it seems to be now fortunately so um we're we're working on a couple different designs for that we've we've had an inductive charger in the one that we've produced 300 of and uh just a, a flat a chi charger um I believe it's pronounced chi. I never know when I, I look at that, but uh, the QI charging pads, uh, um, and and that's worked quite well for us over the, the past couple of years. And um, so we have a, a custom charger unit that slides over the fin, and that plugs into USB, slides over the fin. Um, everything's fully enclosed in fiberglass and epoxy resin, so none of the electronics are actually exposed to seawater. That's, that's one design. And then more recently, we've actually started intentionally poking holes in the fin so that contacts are in, in touch with the water. The reason being that we want to know if the fin is wet or not. And so we have this wet-dry sensor um, that's just a, it's a comparator circuit that um, is figuring out if the resistance is above or below a certain level, then it assumes it's wet or not. Um, and decides what to do based off of that information, either begin recording, end recording, transmit data. And so once we started poking holes in the, the fin, we decided 
uh, well, we could go with a, a wetted USB charger as well. And then we have a USB switch in there that, that cuts power off when it's in the water. So it has extremely low leakage and, uh, and really low corrosion. And these pins are stainless steel. So this was actually one of the biggest engineering challenges I dealt with last year. Um, I knew what metal to use uh, or a subset of metals to, to choose from for this, but um, getting stainless steel to solder to a printed circuit board and figuring out how to um, how to make this a reasonably manufacturable product, um, that's that's taking a lot of time. I've never heard, I never heard of a stainless steel contact USB connector. I just invented it, I guess. <laughs> that's cool. So, um, so do, y'all, do y'all manufacture that or? <laughs> uh, it depends on your definition of manufacturing. I'm, I'm hands, tapping and hand uh, threading these in. So no, no, we're not okay. manufacturing okay. them yet. Um, we we're going, as I said, we're going through this design for manufacturing process and that's something we're, we're working through at the moment. Um, but, but no, right now I'm using off the shelf stainless steel screws. I'm, I'm tapping them by hand. I'm, I'm okay. I, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not a USB connector that we are thinking about. It's, it's four contacts that you're pressing into. Correct. That's exactly right. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. Okay. I, I left out the the critical part there. So, so you're that right. It makes it's, way more sense. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. No, no known off the shelf USB stainless steel connectors. Um, that would be awesome. I, I hope someone does actually invent that. That would make my life a lot easier. That that sounds but, uh, really expensive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so then um, on the other side, we have a, a charging unit that, that attaches, at, um, same thing, just slides over the fin. You don't even have to pull the fin out of the surfboard. And then um, it has pogo pins on the charger side that line up with these stainless steel pins uh, protruding out of the fin. Uh, and they're, they're all filed and sanded down. So it's totally flush with the, the fin surface. So, so this was like a, a fiberglass mold that you suspended your your circuitry in and then poured a resin on it yeah yeah um we're we're borrowing from standard surfboard and surf fin manufacturing processes a a lot of the work in the surf industry is still done by hand and we had a, a guy a manufacturing director who was making these in his actual garage not some uh, fictitious garage. Uh, he was he he built some aluminum molds, some silicone molds, uh, and and tested a, a bunch of different ways of doing this. And um, yeah, landed on the epoxies and the the fiberglass thicknesses and the number of layers of, of cloth to use. And um, now I'm I'm replicating that process in the lab. And um, conceptually, it's pretty straightforward. It's it's just laying out some fiberglass cloth on top of this mold, laying the electronics on top of that little more fiberglass cloth on top and then close the mold fill it with resin um, and that the as I said conceptually not so so painful but dealing with bubbles is a bit of a pain and um, making sure that you actually have insulated all of the electronics as well as you think you have holding components in place um, things that that aren't rocket science to deal with but um, but just practically speaking a bit of a pain mm-hmm. so you, you mentioned that the the fins flux a bit. Has that been a problem with the electronics inside the fins? We spent a lot of time worrying about that, and we're not sure that we've ever seen a failure that we can blame on flex or, or breakage in that, that sense. Um, it's 
possible that uh, there. I, th I think we just don't have enough fins out there and enough data on this to answer the question properly. Um, I guess that's always a scientist's answer. <laughs> we need more data, <laughs> but um, but yeah, honestly, we 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 worry about this a lot, and we haven't actually had known failures for this reason. Cool, because yeah, cause that's the one thing uh, Stephen and I have talked about before is uh, ceramic capacitors don't like to be flexed at all. And uh, they tend to fail catastrophically when they do. Right. Also, <laughs> yeah. also thin copper layers on FR4 board don't particularly like flex. Also, but but actually, you know that that sort of brings up something that um, we, you mentioned earlier uh, with the with the flat pack battery swelling uh, potentially. If it's entirely encased in a hard resin, there's not much room for it to move. Uh, has that been any kind of an issue for you? So far, it's it's been an issue in that it, it causes a little bit of bulging, so it, it actually pushes out the epoxy and the fiberglass around it, which is sort of a, a signal of the end of life of, of that fin, and, and that happens after about a year and a half, and we think we can extend the lifetime by, by adding some sort of um, maybe a cushion or, or spring of, of sorts uh, in between the fiberglass and the, the battery so that it can absorb a little bit more of that expansion before it has to be declared dead, I guess. Um, yeah, it's one of the, the harder parts about prototyping all of this is that we basically have to go through from through the entire process, I guess, before we know what works, what doesn't work. There isn't really, we can't do all of this testing until we have it in a fully glassed and, and finished and surfed fin. Was there any other hardware challenges with designing this fin? Um, we talked about the batteries and then this, the uh, getting sensors to fit, but is there anything else? Sure. I, I mean, I guess um, the entire outline of the, the surfboard fin is is pretty small and, and getting the, the best GPS signal possible requires a pretty specific ground plane layout and uh, making sure that we maximize our ability to pick up GPS uh, while also staying within the constraints of the, the fin shape itself. That's been a bit of a pain. Um, and then another thing that's uh, more on the, the scientific side is that we want the the temperature sensor or any sensor that we eventually have on there to have the fastest response possible uh, to changes. And uh, so the epoxy is both an electrical insulator, but also of course a thermal insulator. And so it's slowing that response time down. And, uh, and so basically smoothing out patterns that we would see in the ocean that could actually be really interesting for an oceanographer to, uh, you know, anyone who's, who's swam in open water has felt those patches of cold and warm water, uh, here and there. And that's not uh, just a big whale moving through. <laughs> yeah, I, I get asked that all the time. Like, is, is this thing going to be able to tell when I'm peeing in the water, um, <laughs> or when? Yeah, bl blame it on the whale, whatever. Um, uh, in in all seriousness, this this kind of stuff is actually important to oceanographers. Not whether or not whales are peeing. Maybe that is too. That's just not my field. But um, the idea of these these smaller patches of, of cold and warm water help us understand uh, small-scale eddies, and small-scale eddies help us understand how nutrients are being brought to the surface from deeper waters and how those might lead to phytoplankton blooms and how those phytoplankton blooms might lead to... Um, fish population changes and that sort of thing. So, um, and then in, uh, in current 
contexts or current events, uh, one of the, the biggest issues we're seeing in, in small scale variability is coral bleaching as a result of, of increased temperatures over coral reefs. Um, and quite interestingly, we don't see uh, reefs bleaching uniformly, meaning um, you might see what you think is one uh, warmer water mass passing over a coral reef and expect that whole reef to bleach, but um, multiple coral heads of even the same species on the same reef flat or reef terrace uh, might not end up leaching and we suspect that there might be some smaller scale differences in, in temperature and other characteristics that we just haven't had the technology to measure. So uh, so yeah, this response time thing has, has a lot of scientific relevance as well. So one thing we haven't covered yet is why this platform? Why a surfboard compared to something else like a tower or... Or a boat. Um, or a boat, yeah. Sure. It's really everything. We, we want to put smart fins on everything. We want to put sensors on everything. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of my work has been focused on, on putting sensors on, on other platforms. I, I mentioned this big pH sensor. We put those on big ocean buoys that we deploy for upwards of a year sometimes. Uh, just leave out there and let them do their thing. We've put put sensors on vessels, uh, oceanographic research vessels and uh, buoy, or I'm sorry, piers and, and some other places. The reason we're uh, focus on surfing for the SmartFin project is because of the energy around surfing and uh, getting back to this communication of science issue that, that we've talked about a little bit. The idea is that um, we, we know a ton about the ocean and the environment in general that we just haven't really communicated as a community all that well. Um, and a lot of people um, use the the information deficit model where uh, if you just tell people facts, then, you know, it'll fill in their information deficits. They'll learn whatever they needed to learn. And then the world will be a better place because we taught someone whatever. But that's not how people actually absorb information. And uh, we think that by working with the surf community, which is generally a pretty positive community and uh, just a fun community uh, to be a part of and to work with, we think working with them uh, provides us this opportunity to get the word out in um, a much more accessible way, a much more understandable and, and just a fun way. Um, and again, I mean, the, the surf community depends so deeply on coastal health that um, that we, we think there, there are just so many reasons to work with them. Um, but then we do ultimately want to put put these sensors on everything that touches the water and, and get as many measurements as possible. Uh, the surf community is just a really great one to start with. They're kind of like the hardcore users of that area. Exactly. It, it's probably easier to get uh, early adopters with that, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Um, we, we get people who just really want to be involved because they care about it. They think it's a neat mission. They think it's a, a fun way to collect data and yep it's it's a great way to um to get some publicity for it too uh we're hoping to to get some some pros that uh either want to use the platform or or even talk about it because a lot of the pros are starting to get really engaged in coastal preservation and stewardship as well which is really neat to see uh so there's a lot of energy around this idea right now so if you're smojo how do you contribute to this project or I guess Mojo Surfer, I guess. <laughs> if you're a surfer, the quickest way to get engaged is 
our website, smartfin.org, and then uh, smartfin.org slash contact uh, will give you access to uh, a mailing list um, that we don't send out all that much email, but uh, we'll definitely be sending something out when we have the next big release of fins after this design for manufacturing process and, and the actual manufacturing, of course. Uh, so that would be one way to get engaged. Um, and then we're, we're trying to get more on top of our social media game in general as well. Um, and then we're just always looking for people to, to go out and talk about it as well. Uh, we think this is a, a real. I gave a, a talk at a brewery uh, two weeks ago and at a, a science museum week before that. And um, it's a really fun thing for me to do. But if other surfers want to get out and talk about how they're getting engaged um, in coastal stewardship and they don't have to talk just about smartfin talk about anything related to coastal preservation um that that would be just another fantastic way of of getting people involved so how can people contact you phil um people can i think all of my contact information should be available through smartfin.org but uh, my email address is just pj bresnahan at, at uc san diego or ucsd.edu uh, I don't know it as well as I should. UCSD.edu. <laughs> so uh, that's one way. Or um, I'm on social media as well. Uh, in situ file. I-N-S-I-T-U-P-H-I-L-E. <laughs> so I've got one more question. Um, it's not about the smart fin. So Stephen, do you have anything? <laughs> uh, actually, okay. So so I have one question. This this is purely just because I'm, I'm curious. Um, what, what kind of accuracy are you looking for for things like pH and temperature? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm so glad you asked. This is this is really what I spend a lot of my time in the scientific realm thinking about. And uh, on the temperature side, we're we're already achieving about 0.05 degrees Celsius accuracy and and precision plus or minus 0.05, um, and we're getting that by doing a secondary calibration against uh, what we would consider almost a, a primary reference temperature sensor. So we're using this state of the art. Uh, I think it's a $4,500. Um, conductivity, temperature, and depth sensor. It's the workhorse of oceanography to measure salinity and, and temperature patterns across the entire depths of the, the ocean. And those are calibrated against NIST platinum electrodes and mercury uh, thermometers and, and whatnot. Um, and so we we trust their accuracy to a really high degree. We're calibrating our smart fins uh, to those over a range of uh, 5 to 30 C. And we've seen really great agreement and really great stability as well. So um, not seeing any drift in, in that calibration. pH is way, way tougher um, because um, glass electrode pH drifts really quickly, like on the scale of days. And then um, ISFETs or ion selective field effect transistor uh, pH electrodes, um, those tend to be extremely stable over long time periods in seawater, um, which is great. But if you unfortunately, if you take them out of seawater, um, they go through this reconditioning period every single time they go back in. And that's what we're essentially asking people to do by taking them in and out of the water when they surf. Uh, so uh, we might have to come up with some sort of like little sleeve that goes over it uh, to keep it wetted in between, you know, just pour in a little seawater beer or whatever to, to keep it wet <laughs> and uh, conditioned and ready to go for your next session. Great. Well, that was a really good question, and I, I'm glad we got one that out because uh, mine's a little silly question. <laughs> so, uh, Phil, what's your favorite surfer lingo? 
<laughs> or is that still a thing? <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I was about to say there's no such thing as a silly question, but um, geez, uh, <laughs> uh, no. Uh, <laughs> you know, <I'll, laughs> what uh, the, the one that keeps coming up, which is um, it, it makes me laugh at myself, um, is is stoked or stoked. Um, when I, I gave my first interview about, um, it was a little bit before SmartFin when I was doing the stand-up paddleboard pH sensor thing, and uh, it was just uh, something that our, our department put together uh, to talk about the project and uh, put this really nice piece on on our web magazine. And um, <laughs> it was the first thing I ever sent out to my family uh, with, with any kind of publicity for, for my work. And my mom called me up and she was like, that's a really nice piece, but did you actually say stoked? And <laughs> I grew up uh, just outside of Philadelphia in this like old farm town that has since been converted to suburbia. And uh, the the idea of, of saying stoked in a professional setting has just been like so foreign to me for, for my entire life. Um, but I actually, I like it. And th- this isn't as, as goofy as you might've hoped it, it would go, but uh, I, I think the, the word stoke actually carries a lot of meaning in the work that we're trying to do. We're trying to, to stoke the conversation around climate change and environmental stewardship and, and all of that. And so um, I'm sorry to turn your goofy question around to this serious topic, but, you know, I... <laughs> oh, no, I, that's perfect. <laughs> I, uh, oh, also, to go back to the goofy, there's this website called The Riptionary, which uh, I, it took me a long time to come across this, uh, but it's it's like Wikipedia for surf lingo. And, uh, <laughs> oh, that's it's, great. It's pretty rad. I got to go there right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's some good stuff on there. I guess it's more like, what is it, Urban Dictionary, but, but for surf lingo? Or for servers. <laughs> I, I think it's safer work, though. No promises. You got anything else, Steven? Uh, you know, I think, I think I'm good. Cool. So, Phil, can you sign us out of the podcast? That would be my pleasure. That was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. I was your guest, Phil Bresnahan. And we were your hosts, Parker Dillon. And Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. Thank you, yes you, our listener, for downloading our show. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Stephen and I know. Tweet us at MacFab, at Longhorn Engineer, or at AnalogENG, or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. If you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, click that subscribe button. That way you get the latest rep episode right when it releases. And please review us wherever you listen as it helps us stay visible and helps new listeners find us. Cowabunga, everyone.